What if you had a guide who could tell you how to bridge a gap between who you are today and who you're destined to be? What if each week you could hear a story of someone who has tried and succeeded, or perhaps tried and failed, but learned something in the process? Limitless Spirit is a weekly podcast where host Helen Todd interviews guests about topics and personal stories on defining life's purpose, pursuing personal growth, and developing a deeper faith in Christ. When I was uh, being carted into the ambulance, I think that was kind of when I hit probably my lowest point of the, the whole ordeal. I think it was right after the event had transpired, right after the adrenaline was starting to wear off and I could see, you know, my blood on, on my friend's hands and, and on my jacket and all of this. And I had realized exactly what had happened, you know, um, swath of fear kind of came over me in that moment. And I had thought about, okay, you know, are these my last moments? How severe is this? You know, am, am I going to make it to the hospital even? You know, if I if I make it in the hospital, are they going to be able to, uh, am I going to be able to make it through this without any lasting, you know, <laughs> or, or chronic kind of conditions? You know, like all these kind of thoughts were running around in my head. But in that moment, I thought, okay, well, you know, if this is severe, the first thing I need to do is pray. Welcome to the Limitless Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Todd. You have probably noticed a long pause that we had in our podcast series, and I want to explain to you the reason behind it. About a month ago, on a very peaceful Saturday afternoon, my husband and I received perhaps the worst phone call of our lives. It was from our son's roommate, and he told us that our oldest son, who lives in Washington, D.C., had been stabbed by a stranger in broad daylight and was being rushed by ambulance to the hospital in critical condition. And I remember I was in the middle of a very busy store when I got this phone call and holding a basket full of items that I had just picked up. And I was unable to move. I just froze. And from this moment on and for the next few weeks, my family and I had to draw on everything we had ever learned about hope to get through this. It, it is interesting that recently the Lord has led me on an in-depth study on the subject of hope. Perhaps because in the last few years, the world has gone into this tailspin of hopelessness and the rates of depression have skyrocketed. Many countries where World Missions Alliance works have experienced economic crisis and I sense the urgency and the importance of being able to defend and present the hope that is unwavering and resilient and immune to internal and external turmoil. The Hope Rising series on this podcast lasted for nine weeks and led uh, up to the conference, um, World Missions Alliance conference on the theme Hope Rising. And after talking with so many guests about various aspects of hope and my own personal study on this subject, I felt prepared to share a message on hope at the conference, but the crisis that our family was unexpectedly faced with became a test of everything I had prepared to speak on. And today I want to share with you four truths that I titled the four pillars of confident hope. This podcast episode is not a traditional interview, but rather my son's and my own reflections on what makes our hope steadfast, resilient, and confident, no matter what life brings. I hope it encourages you today. Truth number one, your hope has to have a solid foundation. The day I was scheduled to speak about hope 
at the conference in Branson, Missouri, I spent by my son's bedside in MedStar Hospital in Washington, D.C., wondering if he makes it through the surgeries and if his life would ever be normal. Uh, The knife wound on his skull caused a blood spot on his brain, and the doctors were concerned about the extent of damage and the possibility of infection and many other unknowns. One of his lungs had collapsed. The knife went through his diaphragm and stopped just millimeters from his heart. And my heart ached as if I felt every stab wound that went through my son's body. And if my hope were a tower, the top of this tower was swaying in the storm and darkness. But strangely, the foundation felt quite solid. I want us to talk about hope today because both you and I have gained a new perspective, I think, on this subject through what has happened to you. So do you feel like this experience changed your perspective on hope? I think it's still a work in progress. You know, it's only been maybe a month uh, since the event unfolded. I certainly think it was a... um, a trial or a test or whatever phrase you want to use uh, to apply uh, sort of the hope that uh, uh, that uh, at least I, I uh, uh, you know, it's one thing to say you have hope and then it's another thing to, to need it. Uh, and I, I think that this uh, event kind of tested uh, probably my hope and my faith and probably tested your faith and, and uh, dad's faith as well uh, in this, uh, uh, in this event. And uh, I think um the verse that came to mind to me during the entire event was uh, a verse I had memorized probably just a couple weeks prior to uh, uh, to this event, which was uh, from Matthew 7. Unfortunately, I don't remember it word for word anymore, but <laughs> essentially in Matthew 7, it talks about the man who builds his house on a, uh, on a firm foundation. Um, and when the rain and the wind comes, his, his house stands. And the one who built his house on the sand, of course, washes away. Uh, and I think... Um, to me, that that was, uh, you know, it's a simple kind of verse. It's a simple uh, um, sort of uh, parable there, but uh, uh, it's one that resonated the most for me during this event. Is that, uh, you know, we 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 all go to church. We all, um, you know, uh, spend time in devotions. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in the Word. We spend time in community, uh, trying to build that foundation. But you don't really know how firm that foundation really is until there is a trial that comes, until the rain and the wind comes, and you really have to lean on that foundation. Uh, and that's kind of that's kind of I think what transpired for uh, through this event for me is that. Uh, uh, despite my best efforts of, uh, of sometimes being disobedient or sometimes being lazy or sometimes, um, you know, uh, not being uh, diligent in, in uh, my faith, I think I, uh, God nudging me and my eventual obedience in certain things had, had really built something that was um, firm enough to, uh, to, to produce hope uh, throughout this whole trial. Uh, hope that uh, uh, God's going to work, God's going to move, and God's going to carry us through, uh, which is what's happened so far. Uh, and it's, you know, the story's still unfolding, of course, but uh, uh, it's something, it, it's been a really cool experience just to have a front seat to, to see how, uh, to see what trusting in God does, to see what hope in God um, can produce. And uh, so far, it's been a lot of fruit, and I'm hoping for even more fruit here in the future in my own life and, you know, in, in you and dad's life and, and hopefully in others around us's lives as well. So, uh, so yeah, uh, long story or short story long, I should say. That's uh, that's I think how my uh, my perspective on hope has has changed a little bit. But it may, maybe it's not changed, but at least it's been uh, 
built out with more detail or my understanding of hope has, has increased. What lies at the foundation of your hope matters. A hope that stands on intuitive optimism or the power of positive thinking will not stand in the storm. It is a sandy foundation. A hope must have a solid reason. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The reason that held me together through this crisis was this. Long before I felt the pain of my son's wounds, Jesus had felt his pain. Divinely powerful, he became vulnerable, innocent flesh that received the stabs of the nails and the spears. He died for the sins of humanity, and that alone would have been a noble act worthy of praise. But he did not stay in the grave. He resurrected on the third day. He won over death. He won over darkness, and therefore his victory was also my son's and mine, no matter what the future held. The truth number two is preparation. Confident hope does not develop on demand. The more we seek God in our peaceful times, the better we are prepared to weather the storms. Really, if we look at the beginning of your story, the last few months, uh, you before the attack happened to you, you spent seeking God like you have never had before. Um, you went on a personal retreat in the mountains. Uh, you've uh, been fasting with your church. You really are very deeply plugged into your church. You have been, you picked up the prayer shift at the uh, 24-hour prayer room. Uh, you've been really digging deeper into your relationship with God and drawing closer to God. So um, the timing of what happened to you is a little shocking. Why now? Why, when the man is truly seeking after God's heart, why did it happen to him? So what would you tell to people who ask that question? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good question. It's not one that I probably have a perfect answer, answer for. Um, I've always taken pride in my faith and, and have really tried to make my faith one of the most important things to me, if not the most important thing to me, and have, uh, oftentimes have failed in, in different respects. But uh, it wasn't really until uh, January of this year or earlier this year, as you mentioned, uh, that I kind of had this moment of reckoning and, and realizing that, wait, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, it, I, I kind of felt like the the call of God in my life was strong because I had really gotten plugged into my church over the last few years, as as you had mentioned. Um, and I've always been plugged into church, but like kind of really took a step deeper and realized that, wait, I'm not, I, I don't know if I'm, you know, if someone asked me, if someone asked a friend of mine to describe Philip, I don't know if they, the first thing that would come to mind is, you know, a man that seeks God. And and that's where, where I really wanted to be is a man that seeks God. And that's kind of what I was reflecting on in January. And so, um, and so that's when I, I felt uh, God pulling me and saying like, Hey, if you want to be a man that, that seeks me here, are a variety of different ways that you can, you can be that person. Uh, one of which was, was, uh, um, spending spending a lot of time in prayer, taking that personal retreat a couple months ago, and and uh, um, and sort of uh, uh, t- digging into. We have this twenty four hour prayer room across the street from the uh, Supreme Court that my church uh, 
um, helps out with. And uh, they needed some more people to take some shifts. And I felt like God uh, reminding me of, <laughs> of what I could make, uh, had committed to him in January, that uh, if you want to be a man that seeks me, you know, you really need to dig in, even if it's uncomfortable. Again, so I jumped in and started taking those uh, uh, shifts in the morning. I think Tuesday and Thursday, I would take a, a 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. shift right before work. Uh, it was actually you know, it, it was uncomfortable for sure because that, that meant I had to get up pretty early, but it was it was fairly convenient because it was literally across the street from my office. Uh, so it was a very convenient uh, uh, way to start your day. But anyways, it was uh, uh, certainly certainly a new chapter, I think, in my faith uh, where I was intentionally seeking God, you know. And, um, and you know, I, I, I don't necessarily have an answer as for why uh, this sort of event would happen um, at a moment in my life when I'm seeking God uh, probably the most diligently, at least than I have in, in a long time. Um, the only thing I can figure, though, is that uh, and I'm not I'm going to I'm probably going to misquote the verse here. But, uh, you know, uh, the Lord tells us that he doesn't uh, he doesn't give us any trial that we can't handle. Um, and, uh, you know, I think already I've seen sort of the fruits in my own life of how my faith has been strengthened throughout this whole process. And, uh, you know, if this were event were to have happened last year or two years ago or three or four or five years ago, I, I may not have had the, the, the faith to kind of endure this trial. Uh, but perhaps after seeking God, you know, for these last three months and seeking him diligently, um, God felt that, uh, uh, you know, if, if, if and and I, I don't you know I, I I don't necessarily have an answer for you know whether or not uh, you know I, there's a lot of theological questions that you could dig into on this I think C.S. Lewis wrote a whole book on on uh, why good things happen to bad or why bad things happen to good people and I, I don't have the answers in that respect but uh, I do think that um, uh, you know if there were a moment in, moment in time uh, in my life that I had to pick for this to happen it would probably be now because I felt. Uh, uh, I felt the strongest in my in my faith, probably, and so I, uh, you know, just the several weeks you mentioned several weeks prior to this event happening, I, I had been on a uh, uh, on a fast, and actually, it, with the timing of which was a little bit a, a product of my um, disobedience. I felt like uh, God called me to fast way back in February, and I kind of kept kept kicking the can down the road and saying, "Okay, well, it's not a convenient week. I'll fast this next week, or I'll fast in a few weeks," you know. So eventually my, my church was doing a church wide fast and I felt like God say, okay, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you fast seven days prior to your church wide fast? So you can kind of pray into what the church is going to do and pray into what the church is, is, uh, going to do. And so I, I finally said, okay, fine, fine. This is probably as good a time as any. So I, I fasted and, and literally the day before the event is when our, our fast ended. Um, and, uh, one of the things during that fast that I felt like God kept telling me to, um, to do was to focus on um, memorizing some verses, which is not something I've done since probably Sunday school, you know, or high school at least. Uh, not that I've spent that I haven't spent a lot of time like focusing on doing, I should say. Uh, and uh, the verses that I memorized in the week prior to my event were the verses that I quoted during my event. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's a uh, uh, even in that respect, God was God was kind of uh, with me the whole way, preparing sort of preparing my heart, preparing my mind and preparing my body for, uh, um, for, for the event that didn't end up happening. So I, I don't have a good answer as to why, why this event happened to me in the first place. But the only thing I can um, think about is that God, uh, uh, God had been preparing me, you know, months before weeks before days before years before, you know, uh, for this very moment. Um, and, uh, 
And I'm very thankful for that because had I not had these tools that he kind of equipped me with, um, some of which were products, again, of my own disobedience and God still redeemed it. You know, he, 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 you know, even though I had disobeyed God probably in fasting back in February, he redeemed the fact that I started fasting in, in March. Um, and, uh, uh, and that timing had been perfect for those re- verses that I memorized to be fresh on mind for this event, you know. And uh, I remember talking uh, a couple weeks ago to someone in the medical field, and uh, apparently, even physically, it could have been preparing me too, because apparently, when you're you're fasting, I don't know all the, the medical details behind it, but apparently, once you come off of fast, your body is a lot quicker to uh, to heal wounds or injuries or something like that. Um, don't quote me on that, but that's uh, at least what they told me. And so even physically, I guess my body was more ready for an event like this to happen had I not been fasting or had I not been uh, obedient to what God was calling me to do. So, um, so again, circling back, I don't really have an answer as to why the event happened, but what I do have an answer for is that it seems like uh, God had been preparing my heart for this very moment. Circling back to that verse, I don't think that God gives us any trial that we can't handle. Um, and I think uh uh, you know, there are very few moments in my life when I think I could have handled this event. And this may have been one of the only times in my life that, uh, that I had the proper community behind me. I had the proper, uh, uh, you know, uh, mindset and, and had the proper uh, environment for this to happen. And, and, uh, you know, because of it so far, there's already been much fruit and I'm hoping for even more fruit in the future. So. Some powerful tools of preparation are this. Number one, remembrance. It is important to filter what your memory retains. In other words, remember the right things, God's faithfulness in your lives and the lives of others. Psalm 42 verses 5 and 6 illustrates this beautifully. The writer says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar remembering the help of his presence, remembering what he has done in your life in the past builds the confidence of your hope. Number two is knowing his word. Paul in Romans 15, 4 says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement, we might have hope. And number three, obeying his will when he calls you to do something because the timing is of importance. When Philip shared how God prompted him to, to do the fast at a certain time, even though he delayed this fast, he was still on time because you can't miss God's timing if you're willing to obey his will. Truth number three is the revelation. Confident hope provides you with an insight that transcends the visible aspects of your trial. I call it the revelation of a surprising reversal from defeat to triumph, from a victim to a victor. I want to highlight one moment, though, because for people who are going through trial um, or uh, for people who just need their hope strengthened, um, there is a turning point in your experience, like for for me, uh, the turning point in this was the moment, uh, the night before your neurosurgery, uh, that was very, um, you know, we were very concerned about uh, the the extent of damage um, 
on your brain. Uh, at that point, the doctors still didn't know. We were concerned about the outcome of the surgery. It was sort of a pivotal moment. Uh, but that was the night when you asked me if I knew the name of your attacker. And to be honest, prior to that, um, I haven't given much thought um, to this person that attacked you, but uh, a few hours before you asked, I was uh, I started reading the news reports that were being published all over the news media, and I found out that he wasn't just a person who lost his mind and you know attacked you, but he uh, had just been released from prison for pretty serious crimes, and so. As I read that, uh, there was a sense of resentment in me that this person was released, released early before he was supposed to be released. And as a result, you were suffering. But um, you didn't know any of that. You just asked me his name and I told you his name and you asked me to join you in prayer for him. And when we started praying for him, it wasn't it wasn't an easy or natural uh, forgiveness that came over me i i had to wrestle with myself in this prayer but as as we continued to pray i felt the resentment leave me and the healing began and i think that was the turning point um you know in isaiah if you remember in the beginning of isaiah 61 uh there are verses that are very very powerful for anyone who is going through a trial or crisis or disaster and it says the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning and you know the crown of beauty I think sometimes hides in ashes and it is up to us to see it through the darkness and through the pain and through the suffering. And it is when we channel this this darkness and pain and suffering into joy and forgiveness and praise and love, this is the turning point for us that we can find in the darkest of the moments. And, and this crown of beauty that we find, it redeems everything. And I think that um, sometimes... God allows us to go through moments like this so that we can discover this crown of beauty. It is unfortunately not found on the mountaintops of our success. It takes us going through those moments of of pain, through those moments of tears where we discover the most beautiful truths and the deepest truths about our God. And, and I'm thankful to God for that. Yeah, I mean that that moment that you mentioned was also, I think, the the um, turning point for for my recovery as well. I think uh, uh, again, I, I had very little, I had given very little thought uh, to to uh, who he was or or uh, you know or the what had had happened altogether at that point. But I think um, uh, you know, I, I uh, in that moment in the hospital, the verse that kept. Uh, coming to mind was uh present your body as a uh a living sacrifice from Romans 12 1 um and so as I was praying about this is after I think my first surgery um or maybe my second surgery I can't remember but uh sort of the first moment in the hospital that I had to actually kind of like 
pause and process. And and so I, uh, I felt like God kept putting that verse on my on my heart, and um, I prayed and asked Him. You know, I don't know what I can do to to do that to present my body as a sacrifice, and that was uh, uh, felt like the first thing that He placed on my heart was to um, was to pray for for the attacker. And so, uh, you know, I think the fact He He actually I think blessed you and me and and Dad in that process because I think uh, because it was so early and in, in sort of this events timeline that that we did that um it first of all enabled um sort of mental and emotional healing for for you guys and and for myself for sure for myself at least um and because we (laughs) i I don't know the proper terminology here but because we nipped it at the bud i never at any point in this last month of recovery that i've had uh have i have never had any feelings of anger or or vengeance or revenge or frustration or or anything uh towards this man and i think it's uh, truly because of the mercy of the lord to uh um to have placed that on on our heart so early um and i think it's also led to enhanced sort of physical recovery too in this process so uh yeah so i i, I totally agree i think that was sort of the turning point for certainly for myself um and certainly for uh, uh my own uh you know emotional health uh, throughout this whole process too, I think. so. The surprising reversal of hope equips us to view our circumstances differently and not to depend on the outcome of our trial. Paul draws a sharp difference between those who live by worldly hope and those who live by heavenly hope. In Philippians 3, verses 18 through 21, he says, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. If you hold on to this hope, it changes everything. It changes how you think about your inevitable death. Not a punishment, not a scary unknown. Your Lord has conquered it. You're being sown into the earth like a seed to spring to a new, better life, an active and creative life in the new and perfect kingdom. It changes how you view the suffering in this present life. It is not just a lot dealt to you. You are participating in the suffering of your Lord so that you can participate in his resurrection. It changes how you think about yourself. You're not a slave to your sin, to your addiction, to your incurable sickness. Regardless of what your current struggle is, you, through the power of Christ's resurrection, have the power and authority to overcome. It is not just a blind faith that all things work out for good. It is a hope sustained by Christ's resurrection. We must assign proper value to all things, success and suffering, not overrating it or what it does to us. Otherwise, we become selfish and self-centered. And to avoid this, we must benefit others with our success or with our suffering. Which brings us to the truth number four, the proclamation. Confident hope is not silent. It must be declared to ourselves and to others. 
The way that you went through this trial from the moment that I saw you when I arrived um, at the hospital right after your first surgery, your strength has been a source of wonder and admiration to anyone um, that was around you, including the um, medical personnel at the hospital, the police detectives, and uh, of course, all the friends and acquaintances and multiple people um, across the country and in other nations that have been praying for you. But um, obviously, um, there were some moments as you went through this when you had to lean on God. I'm sure that um, there were moments of uh, weakness and perhaps moments of fear. So can you share this with our listeners? And and uh, I think it's particularly helpful to know how the Lord saw you through those moments. First, I kept quoting throughout this whole ordeal. Um, you, you mentioned uh, the, the strength that I had through it. The strength was... Uh, Frankly, not my own, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, I should say, because if it were my own, it wouldn't be that uh, wouldn't be that remarkable at all. But say, uh, yeah, the verse I kept quoting throughout this whole ordeal was Nehemiah eight ten, which is one of the very first verses that I had memorized when uh, when I was a child. Um, and it's a it's a longer verse, but the the B part of the verse or the last part of the verse says, "The joy of the Lord is my strength." Um, and uh, yeah, I mean that it was. That verse, that kind of, um, it's a very simple verse, and it's the first verse that came to mind. Um, and uh, uh, I guess I'll tell you the, the full story here. But when I was uh, being carted into the um, to, into the ambulance, I think that was when, um, uh, that was kind of when I hit my, uh, uh, probably my lowest point of the, the whole ordeal. I think it was right after the event had transpired, right after the adrenaline was starting to wear off and I could see, you know, my blood on, on my friend's hands and, and on my jacket and all of this. And I had realized exactly what had happened, you know. Um, Didn't the um, medics have to cut the jacket off of you? Yeah, yeah. So I, as I saw them taking the jacket off of me, I had saw my blood on it. And and um, and when, when they brought me into the ambulance, it was one that, severity of what had just happened. Uh, you know, I hadn't even realized that I had been struck before. Um, I thought that this was just a, a product of me falling or collapsing or something like that. And I didn't realize um, exactly everything that had happened until I was pushed into the ambulance. Um, and so was in the ambulance is probably when I hit my weakest moment, um, sort of, you know, swath of fear kind of came over me in that moment. So um, I had thought about, okay, you know, are these my last moments? Is how severe is this? You know, am, am I going to make it to the hospital? Even you know, if I if I make it in the hospital, are they going to be able to? Uh, am I going to be able to make it through this without any lasting, you know, <laughs> or or chronic kind of conditions? You know, like all these kind of thoughts were just kind of running around in my head. But but in that moment, I thought, okay, well. Uh, and I, I think this might have been um, the peace of the Lord that, that well, uh, uh, the Lord himself that that placed this thought in my mind. But uh, I thought, you know, if this is severe, the first thing I need to do is is uh, is pray. Uh, I was unfortunately in no condition to say a prayer on my <laughs> by myself. And so I thought, OK, well, I need some prayer from the nearest person next to me. So the EMS was or the paramedic was kind of walking around the ambulance and performing, you know, first aid, I guess. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what he was doing but the um uh, I asked him I said hey can you can you pray for me and he goes are you are you a Christian and I said yeah and he goes well 
I uh, I'm an atheist or I don't believe in God. Um, and I said, well, that's fine, <laughs> which, I, you know, I don't know about the, the theology about that. But, you know, he proceeded to to go ahead and, and, and say something. I don't remember what he said uh, or what he prayed, but I. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure what God he was praying to, but clearly our God was listening because <laughs> the, uh, it was in that moment that I sort of felt uh, um, uh, a wave of peace and a, wa- a wave of uh, joy, too, that came over me kind of at the same time. And, and uh, uh, those, those fearful thoughts sort of left me in that moment, and, and I kind of... Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say that I knew I was going to be okay or, or anything like that, but I, I, I had a lot of peace in that moment. I wasn't stressing over anything. I wasn't uh, uh, nervous. I was still conscious. I was conscious, I think, all the way until my first surgery, actually. So uh, it wasn't that I wasn't, you know, uh, thinking or, or unconscious or anything. I was fully aware of what was happening around me, and it, it was a super, sort of a supernatural form of of peace. And after I had that peace and after I had that joy, that's when that verse, um, Nehemiah eight ten had kind of hit me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And, uh, uh, and, uh, actually the, what came to mind after that, there was a, uh, a man that used to go on missions trips with us when I was, uh, fairly young. And, and I think he still goes on trips. I'm not sure, but, uh, Marty Hooper, <laughs> Marty Hooper, who, uh, he's this, uh, he's this, uh, Santa Claus looking man. I think he even plays Santa Claus at, uh, at Christmas time. And, uh, uh, and, and has the demeanor of Santa Claus, a very joyful fellow. And, uh, and every time we were on a missions trip, um, you know, no matter what country it was, he would always pull out his guitar and, and start playing this song, very simple lyrics, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And then, uh, in the chorus, he would start, you know, ha, 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 you know, and just start laughing. And, and, uh, uh, and it was a very easy song to kind of teach, uh, people from that spoke any language, you know, there's not a whole lot of words to it. And so it was a, a way to kind of unite, uh, unite the whole team with, you know, community in China or community in, in Russia or wherever we were, we were at the moment. But, uh, and that, that song kind of kept replaying in my head. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know if I physically smiled, but at least my heart was smiling in that moment. And that was kind of, uh, uh, what got me at least through the first bit there. And then I think what got me through the rest was, uh, um, I mean, just a, a amazing uh, display of of the body of Christ in action. I think um, my parents arrived. I think the next morning, but uh, even before my parents could arrive, because they had to fly all the way from from or you guys had to fly all the way from um, from Missouri here, and I was in DC. Um, but I had uh, some friends from church immediately on the scene, and then immediately after, even more friends from church, and and uh, who were just you know, saying pray, prayers over me, playing worship songs on their phone for me. You know, um, they, uh, a few girls even left their Bibles for me overnight there in the hospital so I could have a Bible to hang on to overnight. Of course, I wasn't able to read it, but, you know, at least I had it with me. And, uh, uh, you know, that some friends that would hold my hand through the first, like, I think the first thing I, that they did was some, like, plastic surgery on my ear. And they, I had a friend there who was holding my hand through all of, all of that, too. So, it was just uh, incredible to see that the the body of Christ in action too, um, which brought even more joy and brought even more strength. You know, so it was, uh, um, you know, reminds me very clearly of of a verse in Genesis. You know, what the enemy meant for evil, the Lord meant for good. And I think, um, at least in the the first first part of my time there in the hospital, it was very evident that uh, you know when I lean on. Uh, when I lean on that firm foundation, you know, it's, uh, the, the wind and the rains may come, you know, but, uh, uh, but it's going to stand strong because it's, uh, it's rooted in, in the strength of the Lord and not, not human strength, you know, so. 
Philip's story attracted news media attention, and at one point we released a statement uh, to the press, and in it I included the verse from Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength, because this is the verse that Philip was leaning on through the trial. And while some media outlets published the statement in its entirety, the others removed the verse and any mention of God from it. And I feel like they missed the most important part of the story. This verse and Philip's joy through the trial became profoundly encouraging to people who watched him or followed his story. Ephesians 1 verses 11 and 12 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Your confident hope has a purpose. It is not simply a lifeline thrown to you by God to endure life's trials. Confident hope bears fruit in the lives of others. If your hope is struggling today, or perhaps you have not yet found a reason for your hope, I want to pray with you. Email us at podcast at rfwma.org with your prayer request. If your hope is confident, I encourage you to adopt the Great Commission as the pattern for a fruitful life. You don't have to become a full-time missionary. In fact, you don't even have to leave your neighborhood to be fruitful. Find someone today who can use words of hope and encouragement and share it with them. And remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But if you are interested in uh, missionary work, uh, again, not full-time, but short-term missions, I encourage you to visit our website, rfwma.org and find out how you can get plugged in. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Helen Todd. Limitless Spirit Podcast is produced by World Missions Alliance. We believe that changed lives change lives. If you want to see your life transformed by Christ's love, or if you want to help those who are hurting and hopeless and discover your greater purpose in serving Christ through short-term missionary work, check out our website, rfwma.org, and find out how to get involved.